Thanks, Kent. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in the first 15 verses of chapter 1 in 2 Peter. Uh, if you need a Bible, get one at Guest Connections. Take that home with you. Uh, let that be our gift to you. Uh, a couple things upcoming on the next couple Sundays. For, uh, next Sunday, the 12th, we begin our Life in Community series. And so if you haven't gotten a book yet, uh, do so at Guest Connections afterward. They're five bucks. It's a resource for you, whether you're in a community group or not for us to grow in what it looks like for us to live together as the family of God in community. And that's a good, uh, that's going to be our focus for the next, next couple months between uh, nearly every community group and then also preaching. And then on the 19th, we welcome the uh, Duval family. They are a missionary family who serves with the LeBlancs in Papua New Guinea. And so they're going to be with us sharing in the service, hopefully sh- uh, sharing in Sun Chasers as well on the 19th. And so uh, plan to be with us that day as well as plan to be with us for lunch afterwards. They're going to stick around and uh, this is an opportunity for you to be able to ask questions, hear more about their family, hear more about their call on the mission field. And especially if you have children or if, if you're raising up disciples at home, this is an opportunity to kind of expand the uh, global view for the next generation. So plan to be with us that day for lunch on the 19th. Last Sunday, we celebrate our 18-year anniversary, and so uh, last Sunday and today, I, wanna, I want us to look at 2 Peter 1 and his call that he has for believers in Christ to make every effort and to, and to grow up into Christ-likeness. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to listen or watch online. As I think about the year ahead of ministry and mission here at Crosspoint, you know what I don't want us to be as his church? Useless and unfruitful. Those are the words that Peter uses in verse 8 in this passage. Peter's a blunt guy. I like Peter. Said in a positive manner as I think about the year ahead, I pray that our lives and the life of our church would be useful and fruitful in the kingdom. Across this room and watching online, there are believers in a variety of different life situations. Some of you are working. Some of you are recently retired, married, single, new to the area, been here for years, kids, no kids, new job, or you've been in the same job for many years. No matter your current situation, do you know what the Lord has called you to in the year ahead? It is to be fruitful in the kingdom, to bear fruit, to grow up in Jesus, who is the head of the church. For you middle school and high school students, for those in college or those post-high school years, I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life. If I had my guess, none of you were lying in bed just like dreaming of, hmm, how can I waste the next decades of my life, Lord willing? No, you've got dreams. You've got hopes for the future. And the Lord's got a hope for you as well. Peter will write of it here. That hope is usefulness and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. And that hope is not in addition to all of yours. It is the hope which shapes all the rest, which transforms all the rest. It's paramount. In my own life, Lord willing, in less than 12 months, Heather and I will be empty nesters. You can go ahead and shoot off the fireworks. That's fine. The Lord is calling us to bear fruit in His kingdom in this next season of life. Not to downshift, but to bear fruit. Next year, I hit 15 years in vocational ministry by the grace of God. 15 years since I left the corporate world. As I continue on as a pastor, the Lord's command is that I would be useful in his ministry 
and mission. In the life of our church, whether it be Sun Chasers or Hype or C20, community groups, this gathering and all that it entails, our mission outreach, I pray that the life of His church, Cross Point Community Church, would be fruitful for His glory. So how do we pursue a life that is useful and fruitful in the kingdom? Well, Peter in this passage helps us to know how. We are people anchored to the Word of God. So we always want to be seeking to hear and apply what the Lord has to say to us through His Word. And in this passage, Peter's making this really clear charge to his people. Make every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort. But why? What's the point of God's people making every effort? to deepen our faith and grow up into Jesus. It's so that our lives in Christ would be useful in the kingdom. It would bear spiritual fruit, not for us, but for His glory. He is the one doing the work as we make every effort. I want to start in verse 1 in the CSB translation. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. And then beginning in verse 5, for this reason, He says, make every effort. For this reason points us back to verses 1 through 4 that we looked at last week. We are commanded to make every effort in our faith in response to His good news. Notice he doesn't begin the letter with make every effort. No, he begins the letter recounting how good the gospel is. And then he gets to make every effort because it's in response to it, in response to Him and the precious promises we have and the good news in response to the divine nature that believers have in us through His Holy Spirit, our effort and God's grace go hand in hand in the Scriptures. But listen to me, God's grace always goes first. Always goes first. It always fuels and drives our ongoing effort. It's never that we exert effort in our faith in order to earn His grace, but always in response to His grace. And His grace and power at work in us doesn't lead us to apathy, but activity. Because the same Spirit that raised the Son from the dead dwells in believers, so that power leads us to the practice of effort. For this very reason, make every effort. He goes on to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Supplement, meaning to add. The original language means supplying in abundance. Make every effort to supply in abundance Christ-like attitudes and actions of which Peter will give us examples of. And he's saying, as you grow in one, you'll grow in others. And vice versa, as you grow in goodness, it's going to bring along knowledge. As you grow in knowledge, it's going to bring along self-control and so on. There's an overlap between these qualities and habits, and we are to keep growing in them. So as we look at this list, we first need to say what this list is not. It is not a checklist to complete. This list is also not necessarily sequential. 
like 101, 201, then we get to 301 and we keep moving forward. No, the idea is that we, is, it's, so it's not this idea of, well, once we get endurance down, we graduate from there, then we add self-control, and then we arrive in self-control, and then we add this, and so on. This is also not an all-encompassing or exhaustive list of what it looks like to look like Jesus. These are virtues that help illustrate what a person's life looks like when they are partaking in the divine nature, when His divine power is at work in our lives. Peter's saying when the Lord is ruling here in our hearts, in our minds, this is the outward fruit of that. This is what outwardly that life looks like. It's the same idea that the Apostle Paul writes of in Galatians 5, that when we walk by the Spirit, when we're led by the Spirit, instead of our self-centered flesh, spiritual fruit will grow. In that list, in Galatians 5, it's virtues like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When a person's heart has been changed by the Lord and His gospel of grace, it leads to this outward life that looks and acts and lives differently, that walks in a new, in a new way. And in this list, you've got some inward qualities, some outward ones, and all of these are embodied in Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Make every effort to supplement your faith. Any Christ follower's life begins with faith. Faith in Christ, not faith in self to save or self to bring about healing or ourselves to lead our lives, but faith in our Savior because He is the only Savior capable and powerful enough and able enough to save and heal and lead our lives. Add to your faith goodness, meaning moral excellence, moral virtue. Your walk and your talk match up. Your private and your public life line up. You're pursuing a life that is above reproach. Make every effort to add to goodness the virtue of knowledge. Well, knowledge of what? Well, better said, it's knowledge of who, and it's Jesus. Knowledge of the Word that became flesh in Jesus and the living and active Word of God that reveals to us who Jesus is. And knowledge of Jesus never stops at our, at our heads. It leads to our, our way of life because His character, His way of life, as we grow in understanding that, that affects our daily way of life. It enables us to know how to handle life in a Jesus-reflecting, God-glorifying way. It gives us knowledge. And add to your knowledge self-control, meaning control over fleshly desires. As we grow in self-control, the divine nature in us enables us to rule over our passions rather than simply being a victim of them. And I love that Peter is the one writing this. Because Peter, remember, is the guy who during, his, during Jesus' earthly ministry had pride often go unchecked and had to be put into his place, had to be humbled. His anger led him to lop off a soldier's ear. But this is who Peter used to be. He's made progress in the faith. He's made every effort in response to the grace that he has been shown. And as you read in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, in the testimony in his life in the book of Acts, you see someone who is growing up in Jesus and as a result is bearing fruit in the kingdom. And add to your self-control, endurance, meaning the ability to endure and keep walking through hardship and distress, the ability to handle persecution and not allow it to lead you to ungodly responses. 
Endurance is the ability to remain under trial without giving up or giving in. And you can do so, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.3, when your hope is set on the risen Christ. The risen Christ who is for you and with you is greater than all. One person put it this way. I thought it was really good. Self-control has to do with the pleasures of life. Endurance has to do with the pressures of life, the problems of life. And God's divine power in the believer's life enables us to grow in being able to handle the pleasures of life and rule over those because of the Spirit and well, as well as handle the pressures of life, the problems of life. Add to your endurance then that of godliness. In the original Greek, this meant to worship well. A godly brother or sister in Christ lives in awe and reverence of the Lord. They set their minds and hearts on things above, which enables them to know how to handle and walk through earthly things in a godly way. Add to your godliness that of brotherly affection. One person uh, defined brotherly affection as a fervent, practical caring for others. A fervent, practical care for others which sounds a lot like Jesus, does it not? Apart from the grace of God and His power at work in us, we tend toward a very fervent care of ourselves, me, myself, and I. But the Lord transforms our hearts, gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, and leads us toward kindness and brotherly affection for others. And Peter culminates his list with that of love. And considering the great commandment, greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, it's fitting that he ends with love. Love meaning a self-sacrificing love, an outward love to the lost, a love like Jesus. This is the kind of love that the Lord displayed and displays toward us, Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still strained, wandering, rebelling, rejecting, Christ died for us. Because Jesus first loved us with such humble and selfless love, his redeemed and saved people are then to turn and reflect that selfless love to others, starting with those closest to us, and then ending at the ends of the earth. All of these virtues in a believer's life flow from roots that are in Christ, which lead then to fruit for him. As we consider these seven virtues, tell me that this kind of Christ-like life is not fruitful, that it doesn't do good in this world, that it doesn't glorify God. Of course it does. A life that is characterized by faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love is a life that is useful in every single realm of life. Whether you're talking school, home, workplace, this local church, Who do you see living out these virtues? Who do you see walking these out, growing in these? Got some names come to mind? You should tell them this week. If they're in this room, if they're here today, you should pause and say, I see this in your life. If you live with them, if you're married to them, if you're raising them, you should tell them this week. You should use your words and say, I see the Spirit of God at work in your life, and here's how I see faith growing in you. I see self-control, and here's how, and Praise God for the Spirit's work in your life. Verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being 
useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Increasing measure. So we don't graduate or test out of these qualities. We don't compare ourselves to those around us and say, well, uh, compared to that person, I have far more self-control than they do. No, we are fueled by the grace of God to make every effort to grow up into Jesus, and that enables us to bring Him glory. Peter wants his readers to know here that there are consequences for not making every effort. This is not something we can opt out of as believers. This is the biblically normal way of life of a a believer in Christ. And when we make every effort, it keeps us from this posture or practice of idleness in the kingdom. As I consider some brothers and sisters who call this church home, I'm grateful for how you are active in your faith. You're repenting of sin. You're growing in the, in the Word. You're loving others well. You're serving in ministry. You're engaged in, the life, in a life of worship. You're showing and telling of the good news in your workplace or at home or in your neighborhood. I thank God for your faithfulness and fruitfulness in the kingdom. This is what leads to a healthy church, is the people of God being the people of God. Who do you see being active in in their faith, taking steps of uh, of faith, steps of growth? Again, you should tell them this week. Verse 9, Peter gives a warning here of what would inhibit or hinder growth. He says, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. If you're not growing in the Lord, if you're not making every effort, Peter says, it's likely that you've slipped into one or two, one of two patterns. The first is you are blind and short-sighted, meaning you're not seeing out ahead. You're not setting your mind on things above, or not, yeah, you're not setting your mind on things above, but rather on earthly things. It could be that your life or your heart are being characterized by the rocky ground that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 13, where distress strain, persecution is choking out the seed of the word. Or maybe it's the thorny ground where the worries of this age or the deceitfulness of wealth are choking out the truth and causing your vision to get short-sighted and blind to eternal realities. As believers in Christ, we must be people who reject short-sighted living and take a long view, pursue a long far-sighted view of, of this life, meaning you shouldn't remain an infant Christian for years on, yet, on end. You're called to mature, to grow up in the knowledge of who Jesus is. Your life in Christ, one, five, ten, twenty years from now, down the road, it should look different. It should reveal that you've increased in your faith and self-control and brotherly affection and so on. Who's the next cross-cultural missionary to be sent out? Who's the next husband who's going to lead their family spiritually and pray for their children and open your Bible at home? Who's the next business owner who's going to do business for the glory of God and not the glory of self? Who's the next mother who's going to actively teach her children to be a disciple of Jesus? Who's the next neighbor to live on mission, truly live on mission? Who's the next pastor? Who's the next church planter? Who's the next community group leader, the next worship leader, the next elder, the next teacher in Sun Chasers or Hype? And some of you immediately think, well, it could never be me or that's not me. And friends, you're living short-sighted. You're living short-sighted. 
Make every effort to grow up into Christ's likeness today to prepare you for whatever the Lord has for you tomorrow. So spiritual blindness and short-sighted living will hinder our progress, and so will, he tells us, forgetting our cleansing from our past sins, meaning forgetting who we are in Christ. If the first issue was future blindness, this is past blindness. We forget that in Christ we have been washed white as snow. His righteousness is now our righteousness through faith alone. We have been forgiven. Now there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When we forget the goodness of the good news, we slip toward this apathetic spiritual drift, drifting toward enslaving sin, thinking it has power over us. When the cross removed its power, removed its penalty, or we drift toward self-righteous thinking that we have to that we have to earn our salvation. Or we drift toward a self-condemning spirit that runs from the saving and healing grace of God rather than toward the saving and healing grace of God. Friends, his past cleansing of sin is sufficient. His sacrifice is enough to cover our sin. So now you've been freed up not to serve your flesh, but to make every effort to grow up into Jesus. Verses 10 and 11, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble, for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. So verse 9 was a warning of, of what hinders our growth. These verses are an encouragement that when we make every effort driven by the grace of God, what it leads to is assurance of our salvation an assurance of our position of being in Christ that leads to spiritual stability in our minds and hearts. One commentary said this, it's not our profession of faith that guarantees that we are saved. It is our progression in the faith that gives us that assurance. That's what Peter's saying here. How do we know we are one of his? It's when we see the Lord causing spiritual growth in our lives when we see us choosing steps of faith or a practice of self-control. When Peter writes that a maturing believer will never stumble, he's not saying that we will never sin. He is saying that we will not wander toward false teaching or be led astray or reject the truth because as you're growing, it helps you know and discern what's true and what's false. Brother and sister, have you ever doubted your salvation? I know some of you have because we've talked. The Lord Jesus wants you to be assured of your identity in him because then it leads to this place of rested stability that you can then make every effort from. 1 John is a book all about assurance, revealing that as we make progress, that reveals the Spirit's work in us. So I commend to you to read 1 John. Spend time in that if you are prone to doubt. I pray the Spirit might lead you to assurance as a result of that. I believe one way we can encourage one another in the faith as the family of God is when we speak words of life to one another, saying, I see the Spirit of God at work in your life. I, I see you make it every, making every effort. I know it's not flawless. I know you have your, your days where effort is lacking, but brother and sister, I see this godly virtue increasing in you. I see faith and goodness and knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love on the increase. 
If your personality is like mine, I struggle to see it in myself. This is why we need one another in the family of God to be active in talking, active in sharing words of life, building one another up. I see the Spirit of God at work in you. I see this increasing. Praise God. Glory to God. Let's be active in watching and then calling this out in one another, starting with those closest to us, starting with those who we are sometimes prone to skip over, saying, I see these Jesus-like virtues in your life. They give outward evidence of the Spirit's inward work in your life. Verses 12 through 15, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as long or as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Peter's going to keep reminding the people to make every effort driven by the gospel, even though they already know this truth and I'm living it out. He's saying, this is present in your life. But as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I'm in this temporary tent called a human body, I will continue to exhort and call you to wake you up from your lulled indifference. He's saying, I'm going to keep reminding you to the point that you are able to recall these things when my voice is gone someday. Make every effort, make every effort, make every effort in response to the gospel. And notice that Peter is exhorting himself as well. I will also make every effort, he says in verse 15. As a pastor, I love that. This call to grow up in Christ's likeness is not just you, not just me. It's us. It's the people of God. I really enjoy watching the Olympics, especially the summer ones. I can relate to those more than the winter ones. I've enjoyed it since I was a kid. So many of the sports I really don't think a thing about until every four years. For instance, table tennis. Don't think a thing about it, but took in some matches this year and realized my ping pong skills are not of an Olympic level. I love when the USA wins. I love when we win the medal count. Down with the Russians, down with the Chinese. That's just me. <laughs> Rowing is another one of those sports I don't think too much about except for every four years. I find it a bit ironic when I'm beginning to watch the Olympics as I'm sitting on a bed or on a couch eating a snack mix saying, go faster, what are you doing? You train, you, this is your life, beat them, okay? I find it a bit ironic as their shoulders and legs are on fire and I'm like, I'm doing this. I enjoy watching the teams of nine rowers, eight rowers and then one person, the captain who's sitting in the chair facing their teammates with a microphone, yelling at them, encouraging them, exhorting them. Their role on that team is to encourage and remind and exhort. One article described their job as keeping the boat going straight and the, and the oars are swinging in sync and they let the crew know who's ahead and who's behind and by how much. If done right, their commands help the rowers push past the pain barrier and keep pulling these oars when every muscle fiber tells them to stop. The article continues, it's a delicate task. How do you make rowers who already feel they're giving everything to give even more when you're sitting in that ninth seat in relative comfort? 
Just telling them to go faster won't cut it. Said one of the captains, so when I want them to go faster, I, I have to specify where and how we're going to do that together. You know, those, you know something? Those teammates who row, they know what they're supposed to do. No one got into that boat and thought, I thought this was swimming. <laughs> or we're going this way? I thought we're going that way. Brother and sister in the Lord, I haven't told you anything new today. I haven't told you anything new. Peter writes that in verse 12. You already know that you're called to grow up in Jesus. And yet, by the grace of God, may I remind you and me, make every effort in your faith. As you keep rowing, there will be distractions abounding. Distractions to pull you from the singular goal of growth and godliness. The world is addicted to division and chaos and noise and strife. Our own flesh is tempted to live short-sighted and for earthly things that will fade and crumble. Our spiritual enemy wants us to forget our cleansing in Christ. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we'd be useful and fruitful in the kingdom in the year ahead, let alone our lifetime. The path toward that goal is through us remembering the gospel, making every effort in response to the grace that we have been shown and continue to be shown and listen, ultimately, it's not my voice or the elder team's voice that sits in that captain's chair. I don't want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear the voice of your chief shepherd, our chief shepherd. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not the elder's church. He's the chief shepherd. I want you to hear the voice of your good shepherd who's trying to lead you beside quiet waters and toward greener pastures. Human messengers change. Elders, staff, pastors, leaders, they change. Jesus Christ never does. And he's calling you and me to grow up in him so that you and I might bear fruit in our lives that would glorify him. And he's given you everything you need, according to this passage, for that lifelong pursuit. Including, he's also given you one another in the family. We grow up into Jesus together as the people of God, pulling together, encouraging one another, loving together, being for one another together, reminding one another of the Spirit's, Spirit's presence and power together, reminding one another of the precious promises we have in the gospel together. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, may we make every effort together for as long as we are in these bodily tents they're tense. This life is a vapor. This life is short. Eternity is long. May we be found faithful while we dwell in very temporary tents. And for as long as I'm in this bodily tent, I pray that I would exhort you and me to be fruitful and useful in the kingdom, the kingdom that is here now, the kingdom that will be everlasting for his glory. The mission is today. The mission to make disciples is today. That mission doesn't exist in eternity. This is our time, church. This is your time to make disciples at home. This is your time to make disciples and be on mission in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Students, this is the time, not later, but to grow up into Jesus now and to keep growing, to keep increasing in Christ-like attitudes and actions that will bear him, bear fruit in the kingdom. 
and bring Him glory. To those of you who don't trust in Jesus, your first step to growth and godliness, you might see this passage and go, okay, I'm really going to work on these things. I'm really going to work on self-control. And No, your first step is simply surrender. It's humble surrender. Jesus, save me. Jesus, give me new life. Make me new. I want to follow you. I want to trust in you. That's the first step toward godliness. May we collectively, together, respond to the Lord's voice today. Lord, thank you for sacrificing your life upon that cross. Thank you that your atonement, your perfect sacrifice is sufficient to cover all our sin past, present, and future. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you that that your amazing grace, your all-sufficient grace and mercy calls us back toward yourself when we stray or when we wander. Thank you that you rose again on the third day. Thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that one day you are returning I pray that you would enable us as your people to live with living hope, to live with grace-fueled and love-compelled activity in our lives that would bring you glory, bear fruit in the kingdom, eternal, everlasting, generational life change. We trust you. We depend upon you. I thank you that you are with us. You've empowered us for mission and you are present with us as we go to the very end of this age. We want to worship you well. Enable us to add to our faith, to supplement our faith in overflowing abundance virtues that would reflect you. For your glory alone, we pray this in your name. Amen. Paul writes this in First uh, Peter says, train yourself with godliness, for the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it hold, holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Amen.